0: Good morning, brother and sister and dear friends. And I trust that you are doing well wherever you are. And I trust that you are blessed. And I trust that you are serving the Lord with everything that you've got within your power. And, uh, you know, I we sing a song and I always say this, this is the day that the Lord has made and we shall rejoice in it. And I want to rejoice in this beautiful day because there's so many things that's happening in our lives that we can be thankful for. I fondly recall on a service when we were still together in the hall just prior to uh, Christmas last year, the end of the year, that I was walking around the hall with the mic and I said, today, I just want you to say a few things, to thank the Lord in front of everybody for, for things that's happening in your life. And as I was walking around and giving this mic to people to speak with, it was such a blessing to hear the many things that the people wanted to thank the Lord for in their lives. And it is so that so many times we just ask the Lord when things don't go well in our lives. Lord, is a pain here. Lord, I need that. Lord, this. Lord, that. And we keep on asking, but I want to implore you to start thanking God for things that that is happening in your life. Uh, Currently in Victoria, Melbourne, we're under a severe lockdown. And I know that it's a, a, a difficult toll on a lot of people's mental health. But even within the circumstances, there's so many things, my dear friend, that you and I can be thankful for. So just take a moment, just, you know, after the sermon, just thank the Lord for something in your life that He's given you. And it is so wonderful. I want to thank the Lord this morning for the Word that He's given us. The Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Word sustains us. The Word gives us what is on God's mind in difficult situations. What is the will of God? You find it in this wonderful book called the Holy Scriptures. And this is what we want to continue to walk in. Now, as you know, for the last few weeks, months, we were walking with Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And Mark tells us who Jesus is and why he came. And we know that Jesus came to save sinners. But Mark now, as he walks with Jesus, or as he gives us the account of the disciples walking with Jesus and taking us on that journey with him, we learn practical lessons. And that is one of the things I want to make clear to you, that the Word of God is never just head knowledge. It is practical. You remember last week we spoke about service. Service is not service if you don't do it. Service is not service if you just speak about it. Oh, my dear friend, my dear brother, one day I'm going to come around and help you. And then when you see them again, oh, yes, I still remember one day I'm going to come around and help you. And when you see them again, oh, yeah, just uh, dawned upon my mind, one day I'm going to come around and help you. But that day never arrives. That's not service. That's what they call lip service. Now, we saw last week a practical application of Jesus in this regard. The disciples was walking and disputing amongst themselves who is the best And I gave you a whole breakdown of who I thought the conversation could have gone. But then Jesus, he said to them brilliantly, he he said to them, he who wants to be first needs to be last and he needs to be a diakonos. That means a deacon, one who serves the tables. He needs to serve the others. And, And he did a wonderful thing. And this is the practical side of Christianity. He took a little child and he picked the little child up. And he used that little child as an example to them to serve. So, and we saw that in a social standing, little children has got no value to parents. It can't improve the, the stand in a social sense at all. Yet, the way that we serve little children becomes that example for us to serve other people. We don't serve little children to, Get something back. It's not as if your two-year-old is going to pay you something when you do out of life the service you do for them. Clean up all after them and behind them and everything. No, no. You do it because you love it and you don't expect anything back. That's the key to service. And uh, now we're going to continue on this path, walking and sitting and listening to Jesus. Why do we do this? Is because listening to Jesus in a practical way builds our faith. It builds your faith. Whether you believe it or not, and whether you can see it or not, listening to sermons, I'm talking about biblical sermons, reading your Bible, listening to Jesus builds your faith. The Bible says that. He says that um, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the preaching of the word. Not only that, it helps us to mature. It helps us to mature. The word of God is like seed. It falls into profitable soil, good soil, and it brings forth a profit. You know, it brings forth something. And as you listen to these sermons and go and walk with Jesus, your maturity grows. How, why? Because you see how Jesus reacts, what he says, then you apply it in your life. And that makes you a better Christian. Not laws and rules and all of these things. It is obedience with love. I want to follow Him. I want to do what He says. I want to serve others the way that He's explained to us with a little child. Now continue today in the narrative. We're going to see Jesus elaborating a little bit on this. So the theme today is, Another use for a millstone. So, what can millstones be used for, and what is a millstone? Back in the day, a millstone. You had two kinds of millstones. One is a smaller one, which a, a, a mother would use in a house, and she would put the grain in there, and she will, you know, make out of that uh, um, uh, flour so that she could make some bread. But you also had the big millstones where the donkey would walk around, and it will turn this millstone. And it will crush the wheat and make out of that, uh, you know, stuff that you can make bread with. So we're going to look into that today. Now, while Jesus still had this little child on his lap, and we remember in verse 36, he took the little child up in the midst of them, and then he took the child into his arms. While doing this, he said to them that whoever receives this little child, this little one, also receives me, and he who receives me also receives my father. Now, that triggered John. Now, listen as, as we go on in Mark chapter 9, 38. It triggered John to say the following. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. So what did they do? And we forbade him because he does not follow us. Now, I don't know what triggered John to ask that. They did it. When they saw this man, he was casting out demons. In Jesus' name, they stopped him. See, you're not allowed to do that. Stop doing that immediately. He must have been a very obedient man because he didn't say that he continued on. And maybe he did. We don't know. But something triggered John to ask this to the Master or to bring this point up. And maybe it was because he was feeling guilty now that he's heard, that whoever received little children in his name receives him. And if you receive him, you receive the Father. And he and that triggered something in him to bring this up. And maybe he felt a little bit guilty, or maybe he just want clarity around that. In any way, he asked this question. This man was actually successful who they stopped, because it said he was casting out demons, successful in his ministry. And he was also doing it in the name of Jesus. So let me just be clear around this. What we're talking about here is not dabbling into the occult, which we see so many times today. I mean, you can just go on YouTube and you will see so many crazy things happening with faith healers and and all of these spiritual healers and all of these things. There's really wacky people out there. And somehow, some Christians seem to bring them back into our brothers and sisters, because of what is happening right here in Mark. And it's also written in Matthew and Luke. He says, this opens up the door for all of those. No, it's not. The key here is that this man was doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, he might have been one of the disciples of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist also had disciples. And what did he preach? He preached repentance until Jesus Christ came and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And I believe he lost his ministry that day because all of his disciples might have followed Jesus. And following Jesus, not as intense as the twelve, maybe on a distance, they became believers of Jesus and they saw what the disciples did. Maybe they this person was one of the 70 sent out by two by two, but he was doing it. The only problem, according to the disciples, was that he wasn't walking with them. They came across him. They saw him do this and then they stopped him. Now, I like Jesus's response on this and I think you're going to find it interesting as well. Now, in verse 39, but Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. You see, he works this key now. He says, no one who do this in my name can speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side whoever for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ assuredly I say to you he will by no means lose his reward what is Jesus saying here well there is so many lessons we can pick out of this and as I'm going to continue reading on you will see there's so much here we can spend literally a month or two just unpacking this passage but I'm not going to go into deep with that. So the first thing that came to my mind when I read this is that if a church or a ministry or even an individual does not do everything just like we do it, then sometimes we are quickly to condemn that person. And we've got to be so careful for that. He's not doing it the way we're doing it. Isn't that what the disciples is doing? Isn't that what John is doing? He said, Lord, we saw this guy. He's not with us. He's not walking with us. He's not sitting down when you're doing the teaching. He's, he's just there on the edge. So we are condemning him. And we are so quick so often to judge people. And we're so quick to lash out to people and and we're against them or they're against us. And we are so quick to try and silence them. They must be silenced. Now, I want to be perfectly clear in this. I know there is very good discernment ministries. And there's a lot of times that I myself has applied discernment against preachers. And it is critically important to do that. It is important to expose false teachers, false preachers, false so self-proclaimed uh, apostles and prophets. And it is critically important. It is a ministry which is in the Word of God. I mean, 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 1, he says that, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, even if you listen to John's warning the same John that asked this question to Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that later on he wrote what I just read to you. He was the one who brought this topic up to Jesus. He see he was the one who said we saw this guy uh, casting out demons and we stopped him. But it was in your name. Then teaches Jesus gives him the teaching and now later on in, in the letters he writes to us, he says, test every spirit, do not believe every spirit. But what does he say? What is the qualification in that verse? What is the qualifying factor in that verse? Let me read it again. The same John who's been taught by Jesus. He says, do not believe every spirit. Now that's a small little spirit. That means the spirit of man. Do not believe every spirit of man. Then he says, but sharp contrast. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. That is okay to do, and we must do that. If somebody preaches the word of God, you must test the spirit, and you must test whether they are from God. What is the test? The acid test is the word of God. If they preach anything contrary to the word of God, they are in error, and you must expose that. I've always been a preacher who bring that out. And I've always been a preacher who said, even this preacher, you must test my spirit. And you must test my messages. And I cannot get upset if you bring those back to me. But if we test it by the Word of God, and it stands by the Word of God, then it is legit. You need to listen to it. It is so clear. Remember what he said. He said, Jesus, we saw this man. He was casting out people, demons in your name. Jesus said, if they are not against us, they are for us. It's the same thing. It's not double standards. It's not opening up the world for the occult. It's not opening up the world for so self-proclaimed healers, faith healers. It must be in the name of Jesus. Why? For so many false prophets has gone out into the world. This is why we need to teach there, uh, 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 test them. Not only John writes it, but Paul writes it as well as a warning to the young pastor, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. He says, now the Spirit, Capitals letter now, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos. Who came for three reasons to to judge the world, uh, to uh, for for discernment of sin, judge the world, and teach of Jesus? He says the Spirit expressly say that in latter times, which we are living in, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and demons and do, uh, uh, doc, uh, doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy having their own conscience sheared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe to know the truth. So Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Be careful for these ones. Again, we need to test their spirits. This man that John was talking about here in Mark 9 wasn't what Paul was warning about. That's not the same man. This is a different man. And this man Jesus said about, if he's not with us, walking with us, doesn't mean he's against us. That's what we need to be careful of. Be careful for. I mean, Paul himself in Acts chapter 20 verse 29, when he Uh, called the elders of Ephesus to talk to them, his final departing words to them was a warning. He said, For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come amongst you, sparing not the flock. They will come uh, in sheep clothing, but they are raving wolves. And also from among you, men will rise up and speaking perverse things to draw disciples after themselves. Now, Jesus says again, let me say to you, do not forbid him who is doing it in his name. He says, for if they do it in my name, they will not turn around and blaspheme Christ. So this is just, you know, a few things that we need to be careful of. But it does not mean we do not have to discern. Yes, we need to continue to discern. We need to be wise and careful. This is is the point. You see, let me just make two points here as, as well. No church or no preacher. And I want you to listen clearly what I say. And that includes me. That includes every person that I've listened to preaching very famous names. Very, very famous names. That includes all of them. And maybe all of the famous preachers that you've listened to. And maybe your personal pastor that you've got now it includes all of them no church that's your church that's all of these famous churches all of them no church no preacher and no ministry has an an exclusive lock on the truth it's not to say that they've got the truth and nobody else has got the truth they are the truth church and the rest is the half truth churches there's no claims like that. And I'm always wary when people come in and they make that claim that they are the truth and everybody else is in error. And if you don't believe like we do, then you're on your way to the pit of hell. It's going to be an eye-opener to you. I, I'm very wary of those kind of preachers who come out with that claim. The only way that you can lock in the truth is if you stay within the context of the Scriptures. That should be the pathway to any preacher. That should be the pathway for you to listen to any preacher. I mean, you should be like a Berean. A Berean test everything to the Word of God. But again, I come back to the message that Jesus said. He says, no, do not stop that man. doesn't mean that, you know... If he's not with us, but he uses, you know, he operates in Jesus Christ in the freedom of Jesus Christ that he said. And another point I want to make, I said there was going to be two points. When it comes to churches, it is one size doesn't fit all. And I particularly want to highlight this fact. You know, I've, I've been to a few churches and it amazes me sometimes that if you go from one church to another church, that the previous church don't want to talk to you anymore because you've left that, you know, how dare you leave that little community out of the church and you go to another church? It, it amazes me. There's no, there's no, you know, exclusivity on the church, you know, and, and how you operate and how you do your services. It does not mean to say that if somebody else do it separate or differently is, is wrong. Let me just give you a practical, simple ex, ex, uh, reason or example. Let's say you come to a church and, you know, the church open up with singing in the beginning. And then right after singing, you go into prayer time. And right after prayer time, you go into the communion table. And right after the communion table, you go into, um, you know, the preaching of the word. And then, you know, you take up offering afterwards. Now, if somebody else comes and they go, we're going to go right into singing. Then we go right into the word of God. Then we go right after that into communion. It's it, There's no way to say that the one is right and the other one is wrong. And this is what we've got to be careful of. You know, John goes, these guys aren't with us, Lord, and we stopped him. Jesus said, no, no, you don't stop them. Now, Paul says the same thing. Paul learned from this in Philippians chapter 1:15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. And these are the agendas that preachers has got. And there's so many agendas that preachers has got these days to preach. I've got an agenda. My agenda is to reach the lost. My agenda is to preach the gospel of Christ to change people's lives. You, preacher who's listening to me now, you've got an agenda. And I I implore you to test that agenda. Some people are doing it out of envy and strife. That's their agenda. Their whole message every time will be envy and strife. There is some preachers out there who preach and they can't preach if it's not controversial. Every sermon of this needs to be controversial and they will get a following which will follow them because they want to hear controversial things. And there's some preachers out there who just wants to give you know, prosperity. And, you know, they will continue. That's their agenda. You know, their agenda might be they want to get rich out of the gospel. They want to get rich out of... We see a lot of those. Jesus to them is a product. You see, each preacher has got an agenda. Even if you turn up in an in an area or in a city and you sit there and you go, I want to build a big church here. Well, the problem therein lies that your agenda is you want to build a big church to do what? To show people that you are this magnificent pastor, you this equivalent uh, equivalent speaker is. You know, everyone has got an agenda, and and the test here is you need to come to the Lord and you need to put your agenda down at His feet and get His rubber stamp of approval for that agenda. In fact, my dear friend, my brother, my preacher who's listening to this now, your agenda needs to align with the will of God. And this is critically important. And and I believe this is what Jesus is touching on here. What is your agenda? John, what is the agenda of you guys stopping this man from casting out demons in Jesus' name? What is your agenda for that? Even that man, if we can have a conversation with him, what is your agenda of casting out demons? You know, is it to help people? Is it to preach the gospel? What is the agenda? And this is what we've got to be careful for. Paul writes this. He says, some even from envy and strife, some from goodwill. Some really want to have goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition. There is something like that. You know, if... uh, If you preach the word just to get people to like you, just to be people to follow you, that's a selfish ambition. He says there is people who's doing that. They are not sincerely and supposing to add affliction to his chains, which is his chains which he's sitting in. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So what is Jesus saying here? Let me... Just bring you back to his words. He says, Do not forbid them who preaches the gospel in spirit and truth. Do not forbid them. For no one works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is against us is, on, is not against us is on our side. Forever gives a, a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, I, swear to you, I say he will by no means lose his reward. And this is the clear picture here. It's about service again. I want to draw you back again to the, the point that he also said there that there is a reward for service. And, uh, you know, there's a good message that I can preach about that. But that is clear. What can you do for preachers who preach the word of God? Pray for them. Pray for the wisdom of God to come upon their lives. Now let's continue in the narrative. In Mark chapter 9, verse 42, Jesus continue on. But whoever causes one of the least little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea. There is our theme, the millstone. You know, what is the use of a millstone? Um, they were two different sizes of millstones, like I said before. Um, the smaller one was used by a woman to grind small amounts of grain. And then the larger one was turned to, uh, by a donkey to grind the, the larger amounts of grain. And Jesus refers to the larger one. But I want to focus your first your attention to a word here again. As you know me, I love the words and to look into the meaning of words. The word that he says here for the little ones to stumble. That word there in Greek is skandalizo. And that's where we find your English word scandal from. But it also literally means to entrap somebody. To set up a trap for somebody so that when you catch them in that trap, that's a scandal. And everybody can see that scandal. You coerce them into a situation. And this is the warning here that is given. When he talks about the little ones while he still have the little child in his arms, he wasn't necessarily now meaning little children. Although, although, there is a stark warning of hurting and injuring little children. He was talking about little children in the faith. Young Christians. This is where this is now pointing towards. He says, whoever causes little new believers, little children in the faith, spiritual babies, who causes them to stumble, to scratch them, to ensnare them, it is better for that person to take a big millstone, a, a, a put it around his neck and throw it into the sea. Now... What is this talking about? And I've seen this, I've actually seen this, and it breaks my heart that I've seen this in my life in ministry. These are the people who come in, you know, wolves in sheep clothing, and they've got some kind of strange teaching in the Bible, and some kind of laws, and rituals, and 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 things, and they... They always go in the churches for the young believers, the one who's not fast in the Word of God, who hasn't matured in the Word of God. And they approach those little ones. Then they download their doctrine on those little ones. You see, they entrap them. They snare them. And once they do that, they then, with those numbers, oftentimes try to overthrow the pastor of the church or to set up their own ministry. Again, it comes back to the wrong agenda. And I've seen it, unfortunately, in my life. I've seen in our ministry and the privilege to, you know, uh, pioneer some churches and see people come in the church and go out of the church. I've seen it with my own eyes, where young Christian believers comes in and certain people in the congregation, uh, you know, spread their poison into their lives And now, years later, I look back and I see that even those young ones don't serve the Lord any longer. It is to these people that this stark warning is coming and say, it's better for you to take a millstone and put it around your neck and throw it into the sea. Now, the thing is, does Jesus now approve suicide? Because it looks like a suicide here. No, by far not. By far not. He was giving them a practical implication of the severity of what you are doing when you entrap these young believers who need to grow in the doctrine of the the word of God, not in your doctrine, not what you deem to be is right. It is to these people that the severity comes down now. He says you, and those milestones, by the way, It couldn't just be picked up by one person and walk all the way to the sea. It's a heavy thing. And there's no escape if you tie that thing around your neck and throw it into the sea to get out of it. That is the severity of this. And Jesus makes this so severe. You see, some Christians think nothing of drawing young, weak Christians into their own squabbles and divisions. They think nothing of that. And it hurts them. But let it be known today that those heads, those people, this is what Jesus was talking about. This is what he was warning about, will be upon your head. can't be clearer about that. It is a serious warning that Jesus gives them here. You see, there are a lot of these people, they themselves emerge out of that squabble or division without much damage, you know, because they are already in what they do. But the little ones they brought with them into the squabble often ended up shipwrecked or left behind. I've seen it with my own eyes. I talk out of experience. And this is what you've got to be careful for. And let it be known, he had a young child in his arms. Even this side of things... I've even see it in this way where a family with young children go to church and a squabble starts happening and parents gossiping in front of the little children that impacts those little children and pushes them away from the church and from the word of God. Be careful of that Jesus says. Now I'm going to end by just reading you in the narrative and I'm going to come back to this narrative next week because I do want to talk to you about hell. You're right, because now we're going to find Jesus talking about hell. Let's just read the narrative and we'll end in a prayer. In verse 43, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that will never be quenched, where their worms does not die and the fire do not quench. And If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame than rather having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. The worm does not die and the fire does not quench. And If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than have two eyes to to be cast into the hell of fire, into hell fire, where the worm does not die and the fire does not quench. For everyone will be seasoned with fire. Very interesting words that Jesus used. And every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how does you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. There is so much in this passage and it excites me. I just want to, you know, I want to get my teeth into that and start opening it up to you. I'll highlight a few things and next week we're going to come back to this passage because we will talk about hell and what Jesus referenced here. Let me just say for now, how many times does Jesus talk about hell? And what does he say about hell? In fact, let it be your homework until next week. I want you to read this passage again. I want you to meditate upon this passage. Count for yourself how many times he uses the word fire in this passage. Because there is people out there who is actually saying that hell is only a figment of the imagination. And it's not true. So why would somebody like Jesus Christ talk so heavily and severely about hell? Good question. I will end with this. When he talks about cutting off your hand, your foot, your eye, and so on, that doesn't mean we need to literally take here Jesus' words and mutilate our bodies. That's not the point he's making. Why? Because even if you cut off your hand and sin is not cleansed in your heart, you will just walk around the world with a cut-off hand but still be a sinner. And now you can only have, you know, do your sin twice with the other hand. And even if you cut that hand off and your sin is not quenched in your heart, you'll be walking around in the world with two hands lost and still a sinner. So it's not a literal meaning of this passage, but there's a spiritual application and implication. I will just leave it there for now. So I pray that the Lord spoke to you today. I'm looking forward to talk to you again next week. And then to unpack and talk about hell. And that's going to be an interesting message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, thank you for the lessons. Thank you for your lessons for us to be careful and to be wise and to look out. Father, give us discernment in your hearts to listen to your word, to be Bereans and to search for the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.